The door opens, and off the bus steps a little blind kid. Did he say hi to Bruce? No, he couldn't see him. I think Bruce would do the nice thing and bark at him a little bit. Welcome to the Four Corners Crime Cast. My name is Jake. My name is Rory. And I'm Katie. This week, I guess I'm going to be doing a little hosting for you. The episode that I got to work on and choose is a guy by the name of Corey Dion Morris. Now, if you haven't heard of him, I don't blame you. This one was kind of swept under the rug a little bit. And where is it? This one's actually in Phoenix, Arizona. And where did you do your research? Uh, actually, a lot of it came from the internet. Most of it came from the state of Arizona v. Corey Dean Morris, cbsnews.com, arizonadailysun.com, the Los Angeles Times, the Oklahoman.com, and killercloud.com. Killercloud.com also linked into Murderpedia a little bit. Killer Cloud? Yeah, Killer Cloud. Dirt. Sounds like an awesome DJ name. Right. So, Should we say for the record, we don't usually use Murderpedia because it's not the most accurate? Uh, well, of this websites. Killer Cloud is actually where Murderpedia gets some of their information because Killer Cloud is by a guy named Kevin Smith who actually writes books on. Jay and Silent Bob? No. Oh. Serial murderers, serial rapists, rapists, things like that. He actually wrote 266 serial rapists. And some of this information actually comes from that book. So That book is actually a book that you're supposed to read while you eat cereal. Do you want to start us off? Corey Dion Morris, a.k.a. the Crackhead Killer, a.k.a. DJ Huggy Bear, was born on May 10th, 1978 in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. What we do know about his childhood is that he is the oldest of three children. They were all born of the same mother who was still alive at the time of the murder. So that's really all the information I got as far as his parents or siblings or anything like that. It does list his siblings' names, but I feel like I'll just go ahead and leave those out. They don't want to be included in this story. What does want to be included in this story is why was he called DJ Huggy Bear? Uh, he was a karaoke DJ at a and local he wore bar. Diapers? No, Huggy Bear is the guy from Starsky and Hutch. Oh, that's right. The, the pimp dude. Probably so, before all of our listeners' time. Some of them, anyway. Mine, for sure. All right, well, I'm going to go ahead and I'm, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to start it off with the crimes themselves. Not necessarily the crimes, but what the police found on the dates of his murders or weeks after his murders, depending on who you talk to. All right, well, let's hear a little bit about Corey Dion Morris and the fucked up shit that this guy did. On September 11th, 2002, police discovered the body of a woman named Barbara Codman in an alleyway between East Prince Street and East McKinley. Now, if you're not from Phoenix or anywhere around there, that's actually fairly close to the diamond where the Diamondbacks play. It's uh, ah Chase Field. Yeah, it's pretty close to Chase Field. It's kind of a rundown part of town. When I looked at it on the map, it's all a bunch of tire shops and bullshit now. So at this time, it was cheap housing built in like the 1920s. So was they it, just leveled all that? Was it like project housing kind of? No, it wasn't project housing. It was just cheap old housing where uh, they had grants that had come through that wanted them to rebuild and make their houses nicer and stuff like that. But only a handful of people actually got through that. They sold their land to tire shops? Basically hope that happens to me. The body was found naked and decomposing. Drag marks led from the sidewalk to Barbara's body. Some of the notes from Dr. John Hu, the man who performed the autopsy, noted various amounts of skin slippage on the breasts, inner thighs, and also on the back. Dr. Who? Yes. Now, if you don't know, skin slippage is caused when the post-mortem phase of putrefaction bacteria destroy the skin and underlying tissue connections. So with pressure or movements, the skin detaches and kind of sloughs off the body. What kind of movements would cause this? Literally just touching a, a body yeah. in the state of decomposition, it'll... Yeah, there's. it has to be a little bit of force, but it's not necessarily too much. But that leads into a little bit of something later on that we'll talk about. Like, what would happen if you fucked the body? 
Yeah, they're definitely slough. It reminds me of when Chris Watts' daughters, if you put them in an oil tank like he did, it speeds everything up. And so when they took the kids out of the oil tanks, they that happened to them, even though they'd only been in there for like a day. Yeah, pretty gross. Um, the heaviest decomposition was around the head and neck of Doctor Who, who had a hard time examining these areas for trauma. Doctor Who originally determined the cause of death to be overdose of cocaine and morphine. Due to the suspicious nature of how and where the body was found, though, the doctor left the cause of death undetermined and said it was fairly suspicious. He's got to have so many issues. It's a good thing he spells his name H-U. It's still confusing, but... Does the most decomposition on the head and the neck have to do with anything does it, it point towards anything it or is it just does later on but it just it literally made it so hard for him to examine those areas to see if anything traumatic had happened because it was so decomposed because that's where basically the bruising and everything started so blood ran there first so then when it started decomposing it probably started there because that's where the most trauma was and they couldn't really determine what that was due to the fact that it was so decomposed so he couldn't just look at the decomposition and know that something else had happened in that general area no it i guess it doesn't work that way because this seems to be a common theme throughout the rest of them as well there's a lot of common themes in this story as we're gonna see there is this guy just repeats himself so on october 10th 2002 in the same alley more drag marks were found leading to a body this one was shantaria davis naked decomposing and with the similar signs of skin slippage the autopsy was performed by Dr. Kevin Horn, who, due to decomposition factors, could not determine if there was any trauma leading to the death. Due to this and the cocaine breakdown byproducts in her spleen, the cause of death was determined to be cocaine toxicity. So they basically wrote it off as an uh, overdose? Yeah, for the most part, uh, all of these women we're going to talk about have various f- amounts of drugs in their system, leading people to believe that it's something. But Are we'll they find known out. to be drug addicts? Well, they're prostitutes or known uh, prostitutes or women of the evening. So they're assumed to be drug addicts and the less dead. The less dead. Okay. Do you want to explain what that is? The less dead? Uh, the less dead are people that are on the fringes of society that technically no one would m- miss if they were gone. So but they don't count as a whole person, right? I mean, they're still people. <laughs> <laughs> Um, being calculated and less dead, probably about half in the eyes of law enforcement and things like that. So we're dealing with about two full murders here? Sure. Maybe two and a half? Two and a half full murders, sure. Okay. So with the less dead, though, you have transients, prostitutes. Gay basically, dudes. yeah, homosexuals. Basically, basically people that are off the radar for police. And so... They're not as bad these days as they were, though, right? I mean, this is only 17 years ago. 18 years ago so it was probably getting better but it's still one of those things where you know oh well prostitutes go missing homeless people go missing that sort of thing that was a george bush thing well another factor too is they don't have a lot of close friends or family so no one really notices when they go missing yeah and then when it gets reported to the police it's too late at that point and so it's kind of like well can't do anything yeah oh shit that's too bad so do they have to pay their friends to hang out with them No, they usually get paid to hang out with people. The thing is, is that this is two very similar murders and within close proximity to each other. I think the the second body was about 50 feet from where the first body was found. In the same alley? In the exact same alley. It's not really a nice place, apparently, but still you find two bodies in a row, you think someone would put two and two together. Did it look like... Did it say if they had been drugged from the similar direction? It doesn't really say because the drag marks are found starting from a sidewalk. 
for the most part. They just sort of travel down the alley in the direction that they're dragged. Uh, in a couple of these, it actually can be kind of determined where they came from, but we'll get into that. Okay. So They couldn't really tell much else except that there were these two bodies in the same spot, pretty much. Yeah, same basic decomposition rate, same traumatic factors, things like that. Skin sloughage on the parts of the body with the other, similar to the other one. So it just means that they had two crimes that were basically connected, but both had drugs apparent in their system so it's really hard to determine whether or not it's just a bad batch of coke going around or someone actually killing people but why would they be drug into an alley yeah see that's what i don't understand is all these situations are involved it's definitely suspicious if not murder if someone's throwing a body out in an alleyway i don't get why that was not an immediate connection made if it's not murder it's manslaughter because you didn't help them when you knew they were overdosing you just drug them to an alley to die yeah so so many questions left unanswered, and if only William Defoe had just walked into that alley at that moment, boondock saints that shit. All right, so then about, oh, six, four to six months later, uh, it's actually four months later, on February 27th, <laughs> 2003, police discover the clothed body of Jade Velasquez just outside the gate of the property where an RV was located that our killer, Morris, had been known to stay from time to time. It was in his aunt's backyard. Uh, same alley or a different spot then? Exact same alley. This is literally right outside the gate of where this guy had been staying. So he's literally dragging them a couple hundred feet and just dropping them. If that. I mean, he's probably, some of these he only drug about 50 to 100 feet, maybe. Like, some of them are, like, right. Like, this one is right outside his gate. So, his, uh, in his aunt's backyard. Velasco's actually had ligature marks on the front side of her necks and bruising under her left eye. Uh, police noticed grass stains on the sidewalk consistent with the body being dragged. Police noted that there was a disturbance around the ground near the gate. It seemed to be from the gate being removed from its hinges. Uh, DNA was found and taken from a vaginal swab. And Dr. Vladimir Schwartz performed the autopsy and determined due to the hemorrhaging in her left eye and neck, the cause of death was strangulation. Although the body did test positive for cocaine, alcohol, and benzodiazepines, it was not in a large enough quantity to actually cause her death. Interesting. So they finally got... Yeah, they, they, they found this one because, you know, she was fully clothed, there was less decomposition, and it was obvious that someone had strangled her due to the bruising and the petechial hemorrhaging that happens in your eyes and things mm-hmm. like that so did the police connect all three of these or were they like well she definitely was murdered well, the other two whatever they were starting to because they at this whole during this whole time uh, after this third body was found they actually went around and started telling prostitutes to be wary and be careful and things like that so the police were aware that there quite possibly could be someone that's out there giving either bad batches of cocaine or murder bad batches of dick yeah basically they were aware. They were starting to connect two and two. The only difference was is that I don't believe that Jade Velasquez was actually a prostitute. That's one of the difference between the three women. The first two were definitely prostitutes, and the later couple were also prostitutes. But this Jade Velasquez was not. She was just a... Do you think that's why she was clothed? That is, and we'll get into that. Okay. On March 29, 2003, 15 feet from where Velasquez's body was discovered, police find yet another partially decomposed body. Sharon Noah's naked body was discovered on the west side of 9th Street. There were ligature marks on her neck and similar skin slippage on the breasts, inner thighs, and hips. Maggots were also present on this body, and her feet were mummified. How do you get mummified feet? 
Now, that's the weirdest thing, is that I couldn't find any more description on how the feet were mummified. It's just stated in multiple sources that her feet were mummified. So I'm not exactly sure what had happened there, and during the confession of our suspect at this point, he doesn't actually lead, there doesn't, nothing actually leads into him saying what he did with her feet. Or why, or anything? Or why, nothing like that. On April 12, 2003, after noticing his nephew, who had been staying on the property in an RV, had started having some extreme body odor that had been getting worse and worse as he lived there, and noticing a rotten smell coming from the backyard, Ron Willis, Morris's uncle, took a look into the camper and noticed hundreds of flies on the insides of the windows. And when he looked a little harder, he saw a woman's body under some sleeping bags. At this time, he called the police. Morris's final victim, Julie Castillo, was discovered face down, her butt facing the fold-out camper bed that Morris had been sleeping on, with the necktie that killed her still wrapped around her neck. Killed her with the necktie and then left her body bent over on the floor with her butt facing his bed where he slept. If you ever see a bunch of flies on the inside of windows, you need to call police for a welfare check because someone is dead. Oh yeah, he definitely noticed that and the smell apparently was incredibly strong it was so strong that it had been basically permeating this man's body so that his co-workers and his uncle and aunt noticed that he started to smell really really bad like death that's disgusting like he smelled like he was dead himself basically yes it is because he fucked the corpse yes police arrest morris that same day and begin to question him on the death of julie castillo the one they had just found strangled and rotting in the RV he had been staying in on his aunt and uncle's property, as well as the multiple bodies found in the surrounding area. Morris says that he has knowledge of the five victims and gives an account of each woman's death. At first, he says that each woman had died of a drug overdose while he'd been away from the camper. And that's basically the story I'm going to go through now. He tells multiple versions of what actually happened, so we're going to go through and we're going to tell like the first thing that he said to the police, and then we're going to go through and get the actual statement that he wanted to make after that as far as what actually happened. Morris states that he met his first victim, Barbara Codman, while walking at night in the red light district of downtown Phoenix, which is basically Van Buren Avenue as far as I can tell. Um, I don't know exactly where the red light district of Phoenix is, but most people seem to agree that it's Van Buren Avenue. It makes sense. I've been on Van Buren and it's not a nice place. Walking around on Van Buren? Yeah. Yeah. Morris convinced her to come back to his RV and for $20 to have sex with him. She agreed and came back. They had a sexual intercourse, after which he went outside and Codman stayed in to do drugs. He came back inside and said Codman was naked on the bed doing her drugs. He told her to leave when she finished, and he left again. When he showed back up a while later, he said he w- she was hanging off the bed, panting, and soon collapsed on the floor and died. He dragged her out of the camper on a sleeping bag and left her in the alley. After that, he told the story of Shantaria Davis... His first story describes a very similar situation. He found Davis while walking around and offered her $5 to come back to his camper and have sex. People pay prostitutes whatever prostitutes want. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, mean, if a prostitute's going to sell you themselves for $5, they're going to sell you themselves for $5. No, that goes back to what I said at the beginning of this, which is know your value. Well, yeah, but I'm saying that just because they're older women doesn't mean that they're... They have to ask for less money. Like, people still are going to go be like, there's a prostitute. I will give you money to have sex with you because you will have sex with me. That's true. So, apparently this $5 prostitute just was just $5. Maybe she felt bad for him because he smelled like literal human flesh rotting. I'm just saying, you can get a milkshake for $5. You've got to have a little more respect. I mean, maybe that's all she wanted. Women don't just have sex for... uh, 
money. They like they'll do <laughs> they'll it do for, it for milkshakes. Yeah, like literally, like prostitutes will have sex for food. They will have sex for shelter. Drugs they will have sex in this for situation, drugs. Yeah, So most of these situations, like it's not unreasonable to think like, oh, a woman just wanted five dollars and have sex and a place to stay and do her drugs. Five bucks and an eight ball. Yeah, I mean, if it was raining or if it was cold yeah. as fuck, I would understand why you'd want to go and to an RV. Almost guaranteed that he offered them cocaine, and that's like the opposite of going to a motel. Yeah. You get paid to sleep the night. He would literally ply them with uh, money and drugs, so it's it's fairly reasonable to assume that she was going there to do drugs as well. And this was it was crack cocaine, right? Not powdered cocaine for the most part they believe it was powdered cocaine oh really and, okay yeah because uh they one of the things that the police saw was when they were investigating this they thought oh well to kill someone with cocaine is stupid expensive and hard to do mm-hmm. so why would someone be killing these women with cocaine i figured that she wasn't asking for much because crack is a lot cheaper than true cocaine so she agreed to the $5, and the two made their way back to the RV parked in his aunt and uncle's backyard. After they had sex, Moore states that he left the camper for about an hour and left Davis to do drugs. Upon his return, he saw that Davis was unconscious but still breathing. He covered it with a sleeping bag and left for his friend's house and didn't return until the following morning. He said he waited until that night to drag her body out of the camper because she was dead. He left her in the alleyway just behind the house. Obviously, she was dead. He knew she was going to die. That's why she pull- he pulled the sleeping bag over her face, right? No, he probably just assumed that she'd wake up and leave because he's just the guy, that type of guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, she's so cold. Really convenient for him how they just keep dying in his yeah, house. Yeah, he keeps leaving and comes back and finds dead women. Yeah, that's it's crazy. literally like he has it written out on his hand, like, step one, brought prostitute. Stop. Step two, had sex. Step three, left RV, <laughs> left drugs with prostitute. No longer culpable for their death. <laughs> I left the RV. I'm in the clear. Like, that's some bad juju. You should not be staying in that RV if two women have died in it yeah, and you're he, just not there. He comes back and they're still there, so he hangs out there with a dead body until it's nighttime to take them. Well, he doesn't parent. hang out with it. I mean, there's a reason he was okay with the dead body hanging out with him. Well, the women weren't actually found the same day that they were dead. Yeah, so he hung out with it, quote-unquote, for days. Yeah. His third victim was his friend, who had agreed to come over for some sex. Like, they had been talking, she agreed to come over, and her name was Julie Vasquez. Now, his third victim, if you remember, was discovered, the one that was discovered with his clothes. He did describe her as his friend. Moore said that she was drunk when she arrived and passed out in her clothes before they could have sex. He slept next to her and realized that she was dead when she did not wake up the next morning. He left her there and came back later that night to move her body to the alleyway. So he took this body out of, into the alleyway after leaving it home basically all day while he worked. So you have two women that have done cocaine in your RV and died, and now someone just shows up after having a couple beers, and she's dead? Yeah. Actually, when they, I think they did one of the autopsy on this one. She did have uh, benzodiazepine, oh, right, right, alcohol, right. and Sanex. cocaine in her body, but not in high enough levels to actually kill her. They already knew that at this point when he was telling them this, so they knew that he was basically lying that she had just died of a drug overdose or whatever. I mean, when you use it, when you mix Xanax and alcohol, it's a very bad combination, and you it will kill you. So I can imagine she was pretty fucked up and had no idea what was going on, or that she did immediately pass out before yeah. he murdered her. Morris says that he met his fourth victim, Sharon Noah, a woman with the mental age of a 10-year-old while he was out walking the streets cruising for sex. He invited her back to his camper where they had sex. Morris once again leaves the victim to do drugs and return to find a dead body. He says he tied a belt around her neck and dragged her body to his sleeping bag and then dragged her out to the alleyway and dumped her there. He threw away most of her clothes but kept her shoes. Was this the one who was found with her feet mummified? I believe so, yes. 
<laughs> Morris's final victim, Julie Castillo, he states that he brought her back to the RV because she needed a warm place to stay. Morris left the camper when Castillo asked if she could smoke crack, and upon his return, he found Castillo passed out on the floor. He stated that he removed the clothes because she had urinated on herself, and he went to work the next day. And when he came back to the RV, he realized that Castillo was dead. So this is the fifth person the f- to just die in his, supposedly yep. just die in his RV. And he's trying to say that he doesn't know when they're dead. Yeah, so... When they stop moving. Yeah. Like, you've seen four dead people so far, and you didn't realize that she was dead when you saw her? You thought oh, yeah. she was asleep? Well, and she was dead, so... <laughs> That's why I kept knew... having sex with him for days. Yeah, he knew she was dead, and he stayed that night in a camper next to her anyway. Even though, knowing 100% that he was sleeping next to a dead body. What's with the sleeping bag? Does he sleep in it, too? Or does, doesn't he have a bed? He has a little cot in there, which I'm assuming he used the sleeping bag on, or had the sleeping bag in the RV because it's a camper. It's an RV. Why you think you would find a sleeping bag in most RVs, but... Do you think it was to make the bodies easier to drag out of the RV? Because he knew what he was going to do? I'm I'm thinking that there was maybe a little bit of planning here. Like, this is definitely premeditated murder, in mm-hmm. my opinion, so... Well, let's be real. There wasn't much sleeping going on. You're really stuck on the necrophilia, <laughs> necrophilia side of this. I mean, it, yeah, it's... I am. It's nasty. Police didn't believe any of this and told Morris they thought he was lying. Morris then told a second set of stories detailing what he said really happened. Codman had while having sex with Morris asked to get choked with a necktie. She collapsed and never regained consciousness. Morris stashed some of her belongings over all his panties in a purse and he carried around her social security card, which was found in his wallet after his arrest. Police ran DNA tests on some of Codman's items and found Morris's DNA. A similar story came out for his next victim, Shantaria Davis. While having sex, Shantaria asked Morris to choke her with her own hair extensions. He did, and Davis died as a result. I mean, that doesn't happen. No. So these are the notes on his right hand. They say, choked, choked. In case they don't believe left, read right. Asked for choke. They liked being choked during sex. Stick to that. Women don't take their hair extensions out. To be choked with during sex, really? Just in general. If you're around a guy that you don't know, unless you're like seriously dating, you leave them in all the time. Well, they and they did find her actual hair extensions in the camper, as well as Morris's DNA under her fingernails and all of her items and stuff like that. So she fought back. Yeah. Got her hair extensions ripped out. Just like the other victims, Morris states that his next victim, Velasquez, had asked him to choke her with his hands, and he did. She lost consciousness. Morris then dressed her because he knew her and didn't want her to be found without any clothes on. DNA matched Morris from vaginal swabs taken from Vasquez and also uh, from her clothes and a few other items that they found around his RV. He just left his DNA on everything. Basically, he wasn't really thinking too far ahead at this point. He obviously not. He left the bodies outside his... Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is his ramp period. And we'll discuss later, like, this isn't the first time that he's really been suspected of this. This is... From his previous state in Oklahoma, they have a little bit of connection here. I think once a necrophiliac, always a necrophiliac. If you're having sex with the body, it's really hard to not leave your DNA behind. Like, there's no way you can be careful about that. And once again, for his next victim, Morris states that she had asked to be choked with the strap from his gym bag. She just looked down. She's like, hey, is that an Adidas gym bag? I've always wanted to be choked out by one of those triple thick straps. I bet he goes to the gym a lot, too. Smelling like dead bodies (laughs) running on the treadmill. Morris complies and after a while notices that her eyes are closed and she is no longer breathing. He leaves the strap around her neck until he drags her out of his RV. Semen is found from a vaginal swab and from panties found in the RV. 
and it both of them matched Morris. Fuck this guy. And since Morris is the least creative criminal, the final story of his final victim found in his trailer on April 12th, Julie Castillo had asked him to choke her with a necktie during sex. She had lost consciousness and died. She was in the RV for approximately five days after her death. Morris saying that he has not stayed in the RV for three days prior to the finding of her body. Yes. That's still two days yeah, that he was in there. Yeah, still two days that you spent in there with a dead body. So he has a, he goes to the gym and I bet he wears a lot of ties too. Oh yeah, he seems like a necktie type of guy as a karaoke DJ <laughs> at a local bar. <laughs> at the gym he's just wearing basketball shorts and a polo with a necktie. <laughs> Police went to the doctors that had performed the autopsies and asked if anyone of the victims could have been strangled to death. They were like, yeah, they were actually all strangled to death. <laughs> Yeah, actually all of the doctors that had performed autopsies confirmed that their findings could have been consistent with strangulation. And just because of the rate of decomposition, how they were decomposed, it seems very likely that that was the case, that they were all strangled to death. Even though they all had cocaine, meth, and other things in their systems, they do believe that the strangulation was the actual cause of death in this situation. And if these are like older prostitutes or whatnot, they probably have a bit of a tolerance anyway. So it's not, it's like less likely that they're going to die from drugs, probably. I thought you meant to choking. I was like, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> yeah, your neck just yeah. thickens up as you get older. <laughs> yeah, they got all that scar tissue up around the jugulars. <laughs> now, police had actually been baffled by the murders for months, most having been believed to be cocaine overdoses or drug overdoses. That didn't stop them from warning local prostitutes most of which had developed their own serial killer theories or different theories to explain what was going on. They were like, yeah, if you smell the guy, don't go with the guy. <laughs> Many prostitutes that were interviewed during that time had different theories. One of them thinking that there was a guy getting high and living out their sick fantasies. Another street worker had thought that there was a rich guy from Scottsdale using the poor neighborhood as a dumping slash killing grounds. There are some rich dudes in Scottsdale. And what's the most strange about this is that friends, co-workers, and family describe Morris as a congenial, hard-working gentleman. He was described as taking out trash at the end of the work so the women didn't have to go outside to potentially be hurt. That's why he smelled like trash. Yeah, so that was one of the things that they described him as, was that he was actually a gentleman, respected women, and was very quiet and kind. Although the owner of the bar where he worked at did notice that he'd been having worse and worse body odor problems for the six months that he worked there, so... Every month, his body odor is getting worse and worse and worse. And they, everyone described him as having a terrible smell. Do you think he just had this thing where he was like, after the first one, he just stopped showering? Even if you're in a bed next to a rotting body for five days, which I'm assuming he was having his sick fun with him, he probably, even if you shower, your clothes are permeated with that stink. You've had five deaths in a little tiny RV. I mean, even uh, crime scene techs that are only there for hours still have to like scrub themselves with alcohol to get the smell off your skin. It's not, I mean, it's a strong smell and it doesn't go away. And the sloughing of the buttocks, the um, inner thighs, and the breasts kind of leads most officers and pretty this soon podcast. the court documents <laughs> and the doctors that the probably was having sex with the bodies. One of the reasons that this was tried so quickly and basically. Uh, the heinous circumstances of the crimes actually led to this being more of a death penalty case besides the premeditated murder. Uh, but his trial starts, uh, they arrest him, they take him to jail, they have more than enough evidence 
to convict him, they believe. So his trial starts on June 13th of 2005, and he faces five first-degree murder charges. Now, what I don't state in here is that there was actually a sixth victim, which they really, really do believe that was Morris, but they don't actually bring charges with her because it's deemed a cocaine overdose. That was the cause of death that they had said, and she wasn't seen to be sexually abused or anything like that. Her body was decomposed. Uh, Her name was Julie Irvin. And she was believed to be the very, very first victim in Phoenix. But since they couldn't connect those and they only had the evidence for the five women, they charged him with five first-degree murder charges. Was her not being charged because of the autopsy? Basically, Basically? Because it's really hard to change if it's not undetermined. If you have a set cause of death, you can't change it and charge it. That's exactly what happened, was that she was said to be... 100% 100% a cocaine overdose. So it would have been impossible to stick him with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, I mean, you can technically change cause of death, but it's a lot more than people are usually willing to go through. You gotta grease some pockets. His de- defense attorney claimed that Morris was young and naive, and none of the murders were actually premeditated and had been a result of sexual gratification gone wrong. How old was he? He was 24 at the time he was arrested. That's a pretty young guy, I mean, overall, really, to be this uh, deep into, uh, to have escalated this quickly to uh, necrophilia. Don't they normally start a little bit like, you know, maybe you just rape and then you just kill and then you do both later? He may have and we don't know about it. There's a connection. Like I said earlier on, there's a connection with his original time in Oklahoma. And uh, I'll get to that here in a moment. On July 11th, a jury found Morris guilty on all charges. Five first-degree murder charges they found him guilty on. It didn't take him very long. The trial was about a month long, and they had heard enough. After listening to his confessions on what he had done with the bodies, they were fully convinced that this boy had done it. Yeah, they're like, you had us at skin slippage. Skin slippage, yeah. They're like, you had us at skin slippage, bud. Eight days later, at his sentencing hearing, he was sentenced to death for all five murders. What kind of death? Whatever death he's in Arizona for him. Lethal injection. Lethal injection. That's lethal injection? Yeah. We don't have multiple options here? No. no. We're lethal injection. Oh. Some states have like a bunch of options, right? Utah. California. You can go firing squad. Or Colorado, right? Or electric chair. I all think right. Utah, or not Utah, I think Colorado lets you choose pretty much whatever you want. The other places you're... Limited to the three. Well, I thought Colorado was gas chamber or... Not anymore. Oh. It was a while ago. You could still be get the gas chamber. Will they let you do guillotine in Colorado? I don't think so. No. Mm. You've got lethal injection firing squad. I think that might be Utah. I think Colorado is just lethal injection. I think they should bring back the guillotine. During the trial, it was brought to the attention of the court that the skin sloughing and slippage and the decomposition states of the body indicated that Morris had kept the bodies for days and had used them for sexual gratification. Necrophilia, the brutal nature of the crimes, and an unrepentant attitude have caused multiple appeals to be denied, and Morris still sits on death row up in Florence State Prison in Florence, Arizona. Uh, One of his appeals was actually under the guise that he didn't understand, he's just naive, and that he didn't really understand what he was doing was wrong, but they sort of shot that one down real quick. And every time he's caught up for appeal, they bring up the same facts, that he murdered these women, he kept their bodies for days, and he had sex with them. So they're not going to let him out basically anytime soon. Okay, so we're going to actually get to the Oklahoma connection now, because during the time period of uh, 1999 to 2002, while Morris was still living in Oklahoma, four women died under similar circumstance under similar circumstances as the five police Phoenix murders. Yeah, it was him then. If he was there, and it happened. Well, pretty much, uh, I'm going to describe a little bit of what happened to these women um, and how they were found. 
Now, the body of Judy Chapton was found in a creek in August of 1999. The cause and manner of her death are undetermined, but she was shown to have levels of cocaine in her bloodstream, and the body was in a decomp state that matched the ones in Phoenix. Uh, less than a year later, the body of Cassandra Lee Ramsey was found under similar circumstances in another creek. Her cause of ma and manner of death were undetermined, but she also had cocaine in her system at the time of death. I think he had the notes tattooed on his hands, because this was years earlier, and he's still sticking to the same... Yeah, the, one of the arguments, though, is that these women were all found in creeks. And yeah, because there's no alleys out there. They're that's just I, creeks. And that's exactly what I was thinking, was that it's just different geography. But Yeah. In uh, June of 2000, another body was found in a creek bed. The cause of death was determined to be probable cocaine intoxication, and the last body was found in February of 2002. Probable cause of death was, death was listed as meth and cocaine toxicity. Now, the matter of death in all of these is still undetermined, and medical examiner spokesman Ray Blackney... Medical examiner spokesman Ray Blackney said that uncertain autopsy results were due to the bodies being in poor condition due to decomposition. Police are suspicious of the deaths and have been looking into them for years, but have yet to determine if there is a connection between Morris and the deaths of those four women. I don't think it was him. I do. He was way too brazen about the other five, the Phoenix Five, and those four in Oklahoma. He actually tried to hide the bodies. You don't go from they trying to... I mean, putting him in a creek is trying to hide him, at least. They're all within, like, a mile radius of each other. So he wasn't going too far out of his way. I mean, this one, he may have had access to an automobile and things like that when he lived in Oklahoma, which would have allowed him to move the bodies easier. So I think it was literally just lack of ability to get rid of the bodies that led him to leaving them out in Phoenix. But like, it's very common for killers to leave their victims or find their victims in a very close radius to where they live because they're comfortable there. I would say they true. should check nearby properties for gates and trailers and shit like that. An RV somewhere, yeah. parked somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I do think that he has a connection to this. I think this is his starter period or something along those lines. But I was gonna, I was kind of hoping to ask you, Katie, um, what is usually the cause of like necrophilia? Like, what in is there something in a childhood that causes a person to think that uh, sex with a dead body is something good or? Like, how would you describe, if you were to know this guy a little better, what do you think his condition would be? Usually they just shouldn't have been born in the first place. <laughs> okay. Um, but actually, it's usually a control thing, which is, like Jake said, they normally start out raping, and then they move on to murder because there's less of a fight with a dead body. So they just need to have total control over something to get the gratification. And then usually it's an accident, the first murder, so they're raping and they murder, and then that the murder gets them off, and then they continue getting off on the body with the thought of the murder happening again. Well, so would this guy be like a product killer? Like, he was into the body after the kill itself, or did he get sexual gratification and the death was just a byplow of that? No, I think that he got sexual gratification from the murder happening itself, because more than likely, since they were all strangled, he was strangling them to death while having sex with them. Yeah. So it was the act of the killing and the act of remembering the killing as he had sex with a dead body. I guess that's disgusting, but that makes sense. So I do see that there's probably a connection with the Oklahoma City um, because it's just all too similar. Dead women decomposed, found with cocaine in their system. And he didn't call it necrophilia. He called it sneak in the creek. That's a pretty common way to kill prostitutes, though, and cocaine is pretty rampant wherever you go. So I think that it's entirely possible. This is a totally different person who 
just killed in the same way? Well, hopefully not, because that means that they're still out on the run. Yeah. Oh, there's more people on the run than oh, yeah, you would like is, to know about. When I was doing research for this, the first thing I looked at was, because I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, was or unsolved murders with connections in Arizona. So, like, murders in that happened up in Phoenix or in Flagstaff or wherever. That Prescott. To, Prescott. That seemed to have connections with each other. And in Phoenix alone, there were, like, five or six murders that they didn't have uh, any any suspects for that could potentially have been connected so the same way they were shot the same way they were killed dude broke into a bunch of apartment buildings uh killed the women that lived there all in the same manner shot him with the same gun but tied him to the bed and shot him and shit like that like just fucked up shit like that that no one had heard of i've never i had never heard of this guy before i started researching into it and yeah, me neither uh, honestly, the state of Arizona v. Morris is a really fucked up document. They go through and give really good descriptions on everything Morris had said. Good descriptions. Yeah, I mean, terrible descriptions, but everything that he had said, uh, what led the conviction against him, and basically listed all the doctors that had touched this thing. And so they're thorough. They are very thorough with it. So. That was a very interesting read. I really want to thank the Arizona Daily Star for actually linking a whole bunch of these things together for us. So it was just uh, kind of gross. And I thought you guys would enjoy the story of a, you know, necrophiliac rapist murderer, basically terrible human being all around. I don't know if I'd say enjoy, but yeah, it's, it's all there. There's it's a, fascinating. It's and and another thing, do you think it's possible that the people... The, the women that died in Oklahoma that while he was living there, he saw that and saw that it was working for that person and came here and did the same thing. Yeah. I mean, that's entirely possible as well. Because like, if he's like, okay, he's killing prostitutes that do cocaine and they're dying of quote unquote cocaine overdoses and then he's leaving them just out and about and he hasn't gotten caught. Why wouldn't that work for me? I'm I'm assuming the other guy left him a little bit farther away, though, because he literally left one of them five feet from his back fence and then another one right after that was 15 feet away and then one of them was in his rv yeah one of them was in his <laughs> rv so i think it's safe to say he might have been a little bit on the slow side yeah they actually did go and talk to his aunt who said that she noticed nothing the neighbor said she noticed nothing it wasn't until that they started smelling the whole from the whole backyard away from this rv that they thought that something might be wrong a lot of people don't know that the flies on the inside of the windows are a major indicator that there's a dead body inside of a home. Yeah. Dead giveaway. I mean, and there were maggots on some of these women on the day that they were discovered. So that means that they would have been sh sitting in that trailer for a bit of time to develop maggots. I mean, that's just love juice. Yeah, just gross. It's pretty much immediately after death yeah. that flies find a body and start laying eggs. Yeah, I mean, they'd probably do it if you were alive and you couldn't respond to, so. <laughs> Love grubs. I mean, that's there's, what they're called. that's what keeps a lot of people with, like, diabetic injuries from dying is because maggots get in there and clean out all the dead flesh, and then you don't get sepsis. Nice. That's gnarly. But Roy's I think got dead flesh. But I think that's going to wrap us up for this episode. Uh, is there anything you guys want to add or anything? Um, we have a big one coming next week. Gonna Multiple be... parts, right? Yeah. It's a lot so far, and Can I'm only, like... Can we tell them? No, we can. Be, it they can, can be wait. a surprise. Yeah. We can tell them it's in Boulder, Colorado, and then they'll understand <laughs> exactly what I'm now. saying. Yeah. So if you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to contact us at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R, cornerscrimecast at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fourcornerscrimecast and on Instagram at fourcornerscrimecast and on Twitter at 
Four Corners Crime. Four Corners Crime, the number four. We're going to tweet as much as we post on Instagram, so get ready. Hey, we're tweeting for days, okay? And now you can also go check out our website. It will be up by the time this episode airs. And that is going to be fourcornerscrimecast.com. Check it out there. We've got a full list of our episodes, as well as a little information about us and what we do. And as always, uh, feel free to give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts, a follow on Spotify, and, you know, just give us a listen wherever you get your podcasts. Well, as always, guys, uh, have a good week, and don't let yourself be necrophiliaized this week. Yeah, we'll see you next week. See ya. Adios, motherfuckers! <laughs>